Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I am really excited about this episode because we talk a lot about grief, but we're starting to move into talking more about support and how we all manage through this beautiful and hard and transforming journey when we lose someone that we love. So today my guest is Lennon Flowers, and I met her because she hosted a retreat that I did at Big Sur at Esalen um, about, I think it was three years ago, before COVID. And she is part of a group called The Dinner Party, and I'm going to let you explain how she started that organization and what it means. But just to kind of back up, this was a meditation slash grief retreat up at Big Sur, and I did not want to go. And I, I always say this, like, is there anything worse than your own dead person, but to be with a bunch of other people that have a dead person? But I knew I needed to get away. And it ended up being really, really good. You know, you can come and go through those retreats. You can kind of do your own thing. You can join in. But what's most important is community. And whether you connect with one person or five people, or you're just amongst people that have lost somebody, there is a lot of healing there. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's also important to note that Lennon went to UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, heck yeah. Go Heels. So we both can't stand Duke. So that's good to know that we're cheering for the same team basketball-wise. I found that so funny because there's not a lot of UNC people out here on the West Coast. So... Lennon, thank you for taking the time. I know you have a new baby. I know you're yeah. in a whole new phase of life, but just kind of start with you can't if you can just the loss of your mom and then what that what that triggered for you that we need community to help manage through this. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's great to be here. So my my story, you know, in some ways began while I was at UNC, um, and I suppose you know all of our stories begin have no beginning. And so I will I will locate this particular initiation, you know, with the moment in which my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, my senior year of high school, and um, when I was in the process of applying to colleges, you know, grew up in North Carolina, um, thirty minutes down the road uh, from UNC, wanted to get the hell out of that state, um, you know, and suddenly um, that was the first of what would be many kind of fork in the road moments. You know, I was a, a theater kid kind of planning going 
far and everything shifted with that moment of diagnosis. I didn't know at the time my mom was given a year, but we did know it was terminal. Um, and I think one of the things that I have, you know, come to appreciate later that I did not, that I, you know, kind of detested at the time, um, you know, was my mom was really open in talking about death and dying from that moment forward, you know, and she ended up, uh, she survived four years, but they were, and they were, you know, as living with chronic and terminal illness is, um, and any form of present or pending loss, they were hard and revelatory and a thousand other things. And in that time, um, so I ended up uh, staying, you know, close to home, close enough, and kind of got really expert, you know, in living like what we term, you know, a compartmentalized life. I am a really big proponent of compartmentalization sometimes as a survival strategy, you know, contrary to what my like present life looks like sometimes, you know, um, and that was really important. And I needed moments to be, you know, a normal college kid and do normal college kid things. Um, and part of my, you know, survival at that time. I was just making sure that I filled every hour of every day. I got really involved in a lot of student organizing and just packed it in, you know, because any moment of pause was a moment that like threatened to break me, you know. And so my, you know, weekends were home with clinical trials, um, you know, and checking in on, you know, what had been a fairly complicated family before my mom got sick and then remained, <laughs> remained so and, and got much more so in the time after. And then it was uh, my senior year of college that she died. And to me, you know, I kind of assumed, you know, it was like a, you know, type A student, um, you know, like, great, I'll go get like my A in grief, you know, I'll do this thing really quickly um, and then expect, you know, like my life to move on. Um, and it wasn't, you know, for another couple of years, I uh, was living in DC um, right after college, you know, and again, kind of kept at it like the same busy schedule, um, you know, and relentlessness. And it was years later uh, that suddenly, um, for a number of different reasons, you know, things in my life came to a halt. And I realized that suddenly, you know, I didn't have any vocabulary um, with which to talk about my mom as a living person, let alone a dead one. And the ways in which like who she was um, continued to inspire and inform me. Um, you know, there was at that time, um, you know, I was dealing with a lot of like anger, you know, and frustration at things that uh, had not been resolved um, in her lifetime, you know, and all of the ways, um, you know, in which suddenly in my early adulthood, I longed to have adult conversations, you know, and to ask questions that I, uh, you know, never thought to consider, you know, at the age of um, 17. And so, it wasn't until I'd moved out to LA and was looking for that thing that everybody looks for in a new place called friends. And uh, my friend Carla, um, who was a new colleague, also newly relocated to LA and um, working in the same startup, um, invited me over for dinner one night with a handful of other people. And the thing that we all shared, um, in addition to being, you know, early 20-somethings, uh, was the fact that every one of us had lost parents, you know? And I appreciated your opening and naming, like, God, I did not want to go um, because I did not want to go. <laughs> um, and I think anybody who has ever showed up 
um, you know, in a capitalized dinner party um, or, you know, any space with other, you know, grieving humans knows that, you know, like it is a lot easier to stay home and Netflix and chill or not chill, you know, but just like <laughs> kind of stay out of this. And um, and what ended up happening was, um, you know, one of the most profound conversations, you know, that I've, I've ever experienced and had ever experienced. And out of that grew a really good group of friends. So that, I mean, it's, it's really impressive because I think a lot of us are all trying to make this big difference in the world and figure out all these things. And, and a lot of the great things in life just come from connection and just a night of conversation. So you took this idea that you're in a new place. You somehow by, of course, I believe that there's a reason that those people all met and what are the chances? Cause I don't think anybody, especially in your twenties, I think now that I'm 45, most, a lot of my friends have had experience with grief, but early twenties sure. to get a group of people at a table feels very divinely inter- intervention type of thing because I don't think that happens very much uh, at that age. So you meet these people and what did you realize when you were talking about grief with them? Because now I think, so how many years ago was, was that? It would have been um, 2010, so about 12 years ago. Okay. Because I even think now the conversation around grief has changed quite a bit. Um, For sure. And I, I always toggle between this whole idea that, you know, there's a one camp and I always say my mother-in-law, she's like, we're going to grieve forever and that's mm-hmm. it. And we're going to be miserable because, you know, my son is gone. And then my mom's a little more like, it's, you know, he's gone and it's good and it was great. And she feels sad, but there's a real sense of she doesn't want to linger in that sadness. And I've, for my personal opinion, and, and I think it has to do a lot with community is that you get to do both at the same time. Like you don't have to pick a road. And I think community helps you do that because you get to see other people grieving and you go, I like how they're doing that. That's not going to work. So after that dinner, you decided, and you can kind of just talk about the dinner party. So this is the organization that Lennon started and it essentially puts people together that are grieving, whether it be on the phone, on a Zoom, in a dinner party before COVID, and hopefully now that's coming back. But it basically puts you in in places where people are talking about the same things you are, so you don't feel so alone. And there is nothing I love talking to, no, nobody I love talking to more than a widow, because we really mm-hmm. go for it. And we say all the things you just couldn't possibly say totally. to a regular person without them thinking you're just the most awful person in the world. We talk about sex. We talk about what we, you know, what the good parts are, what the hard parts are, but it's so honest. So what made you guys take it from just that dinner to global? Not glo- Are you global? Yeah, a little bit global, mostly in the tiny bit global, um, you know, and most of our work is um, continues to be U.S. based. Yeah. You know, so I think part of, you know, like what you named, you know, it is for a lot of people, it's not just I don't know how to talk about this thing, um, you know, and it is like burning, you know, a hole in my skin, you know, like there's that feeling, you know, that you're carrying a scarlet letter, you know, and can't everybody see this. And also simultaneously, you know, like how dare you not see this? How not? dare, you know, like that feeling of both constant visibility and constant invisibility, you know, um, and not knowing how to broach conversations, you know, the full gamut. And so, you know, everything in my life, you know, has happened entirely by accident. So, you know, that first moment that we sat down, we had no intention really of even having a conversation beyond that one, you know, that felt, you know, risky enough, you know, and I don't know that we would have committed, you know, I don't know that we would have shown up if there was, you know, like more of a commitment involved other than like, we're going to sit down 
Dom's time, but it happened to be wonderful, you know? Um, and again, for all of the reasons that you name, I think the presence of, you know, dark humor around a table and suddenly you say out loud, you know, things that you've never heard yourself say before, you know, that didn't feel permissible anywhere else. And you didn't break in doing it. And the other people around you didn't break as they listened to it, you know, and suddenly you discover that, you know, for all of the differences in every one of our stories and all of our stories are different, you know, but oftentimes the through thread is just this feeling of being really alone, you know. Yeah and cut off, you know, from the world, you know, of other 20 somethings. And I, I didn't realize that like, you know, and it, it, even today it feels like a strange people, a strange thing to describe. Like my people are ones with dead people, you know, <laughs> there's no, there's no, but it's funny because, and I, I, we talk about this in the house all the time before Nate died, we didn't know there was that many dead people. Cause we hung no. out with people with alive people. <laughs> Once you have a dead person, you're like, holy shit, there are oh, dead everywhere. people. God, there's so <laughs> many dead people. And it still blows my mind that as many babies are born each day, that many people leave. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I mean, maybe we're having more babies now, but it's really interesting in terms of until you're there, you just, you don't understand. And it gives me a lot of grace with any friends that don't have it and what they say. And the people are like, oh, don't say this, don't they say that. And I have a lot of compassion for people because I was that girl before. I was like, I'm not going to bring it up. I don't even know what to say. How are you doing? Well, I hate when people ask that. Like, how are you doing? Well, how do you think I'm doing? Like, it's such a (laughs) such a horrible. You want to guess? What are they going to say? Like, um, oh, today's great. You know, it's just. I think it's really important that people know that people that are grieving walk with that always. It's on the top of our mind, no matter how far back your person died. You, it is always a ticker tape that runs in the in the background of your life. I think there's a lot of gifts to it because it makes your life and the spectrum of your emotions much wider. But I guess when you when you when you talk about community and I think about this a lot in I mean we're in LA there's 17 million people and yet you can feel so alone and obviously every article is written about how lonely we are now and how disconnected and I think about tribal communities that when someone grieves the whole place just like goes out and does like a fire and they scream and they have big emotions and they cuss and they have dances and we have like a quiet memorial mm-hmm. and maybe if we're wild like ours we had like lean on me play at the end but in general in the US it's a very sad solemn totally. celebration of death and I I don't minus know, the celebration. Bit. Minus yep. the celebration. So you basically you're already sad, and now you get together with everybody sad. But there mm-hmm. are tribes in the in the world that that usher them on with joyous ruckus. You know, and it's interesting because you know, like I sit with that, like I don't know that I could have had a party, you know, I when know. my mom died, you know. And I think that there are and there are lots of um, traditions, um, most of them outside, you know, a white Western context for sure, you know, in which part of the act of gathering in the aftermath of a loss, you know, is exactly that. It is a chance to celebrate the person, you know, who's died. And you know, like I think about like jazz memorials in New Orleans, you know, like there's incredibly rich, you know, festivals. There's reasons that people gather and dance because they have to move their bodies because grief actually sits in the body. And absolutely, you know, like one of the many different ways in which like, you know, I feel like 
white supremacism and capitalism are sneaky. And it's like, oh, right. Like that this, we have privatized and, you know, uh, and created this experience where the expectation, you know, is to hold all of that behind closed doors, you know, and deal with that at home. And, you know, and, and let alone like the fact that, you know, within a family, everyone's grieving and grieving in different ways. And we're like at a moment where we're least capable of tending one another. And that's the expectation of where care comes from, um, you know, and, once you break free of that, well, it's like, okay, buy a candle, you know, or like, what is your, you know, like all of this, you know, like commercialization and productizing, you know, of self-care practices when the actual thing that binds people together is togetherness, right? Um, and, yeah. and yet we're, you know, scripted in how to not talk about this. So you don't know that there's actually all of these other people who are walking around carrying their own stories and all of us, you know, perpetuate this, you know, conspiracy of silence together. No, that's brilliant. And I think that's why what you've done is so important. I, I still find myself embarrassed that I have a dead husband. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. It's not that I'm embarrassed like, oh, when we made a mistake. It's like, shit, I didn't want this. Totally. I didn't want this to be my story. I wanted it to be different. I wanted to be like you guys that have your husbands or you miss your mom. You didn't want that. So part of it is this like secondary shame that you ended up being the person you didn't want to be. And so what happens when you get together with a group of other people, you go, wait, wait a minute. First of all, there's a bunch of us. And second of all, we're pretty amazing. (laughs) And so what has dinner party? I mean, I know it started quite slow. We don't have a ton of time, but just if people out there are, are looking for something, you know, what did you find that worked and what are you most proud of with that organization? Yeah. Um, you know, so what the dinner party is in some ways today, you know, is not that much different from what it was before. And I should say as an organization, everything is vastly different, right. You know, but what a dinner party is, you know, was that experience, you know, on a, a my friend's shitty group house back deck, um, you know, with her, you know, like kind of sketchy roommate, you know, somewhere in the living room, you know, exactly. You know, um, it was, our interest is in how do you create circles of friends, you know? And sometimes that's in a small group setting. Um, Sometimes that's one-to-one. So a lot of our work, you know, is creating a space where, you know, our interest is in humanizing everything, professionalizing nothing, you know? And so inviting in people, you know, who are adept in the act of hosting, right? Who like gathering, right? Who know what it is to, you know, create an environment where that feels warm and welcoming, who, you know, are enough in touch, you know, with their own like relationship to grief, um, you know, that they can model vulnerability, you know, and also are in a place where they can listen really deeply to other people, you know, where you, you know, can hold again, everything that you named as, you know, the, the moments of joy and levity, you know, and reflections on everything that's life after, you know, and where we're not, you know, forever, you know, like moored, you know, in what we as a society, you know, consider grief and the wearing of, you know, like your black robes, you know, on that particular day, but also in a, in a zone where you can talk openly about like, you know, I cried really hard in the peanut butter aisle today, you know, and all of these like moments, you know, big and small, whether it's, you know, an anniversary and all of the kind of expectation and anticipation that accompanies that, you know, or it just happens to be a Tuesday, you know, and you're feeling blue, you know, that we, you know, groups of friends. And I think to me, you know, one of the things that I didn't know at the time of the dinner party's founding was that the thing that we were doing was actually like really a pretty good straight shot 
to developing real relationships, you know, because we spend so much of our time, you know, in this, you know, giant city where everybody's walking around feeling, you know, lonely and disconnected despite the, you know, presence and, you know, visibility um, of 17 million other people, you know, um, but we you know, struggle to actually name the thing that's real. And so suddenly when you begin a conversation there, you know, it becomes the jumping off point for really rich relationships. So our work today is around helping people um, to find and connect with one another, Um, you know, and the experience for a lot of people is just, yeah, I'd love to talk about it, but I don't know who to gather with um, because, you know, like I might, I might actually be among the first in my peer community to go through this thing. And if I'm not, you know, among the first, I don't know how to talk about like that colleague to, you know, like broach this topic around a water cooler, you know, I don't know who to talk with. I don't know, you know, I might know other people who've experienced a loss. I might not know anybody else who's experienced the loss of a partner at the age of 27. I might not know anybody else who carries, you know, my same identities, you know, and so we've seen, um, you know, a proliferation, um, you know, of spaces that around people who share common identities, common experiences, and want to connect with somebody else who feels like home. And sometimes that's in group spaces and sometimes that's one-to-one and in the pandemic, you know, that's been virtual and yes, it is possible to have a conversation, you know, and to forge a real connection through a Zoom screen that doesn't suck, you know, contrary to popular perception. Um, You know, previously it's like odd to be in an organization where, you know, like (laughs) dinner and parties, um, you know, have been off the table, you know, for the last three, three years. And yet the act of gathering, you know, of naming, you know, the parts of ourselves that are both, you know, deeply informative for everything we become and hold, you know, and also, you know, not the entire story, you know, becomes the beginning of a relationship rather than like the thing that like, oh, I should have shared that. I guess we can never talk again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that as the group build together and the relationships that start, I do find when you find someone that has a similar death experience, there is an immediate connection that is harder when it's a different, a different loss in a different relationship. And I never thought that before. I thought, well, grief is grief, but it's true. If I talk to someone who lost a child, I do not understand it the way they do not understand people that don't have a dead person understand mine. Like it's that different. Grief is so unique to the relationship, to the time, to the story around it. And 
you know, even as I do this podcast, I, I sometimes feel like I'm out over my skis because I do really well with dead husband mm-hmm. because I know it well and I totally. understand it. I struggle quite a bit in sickness. I struggle with uh, longer death. I do much better with sudden death because yeah. that makes sense to me. Kids are hard. I don't know what that would, I, I can't even imagine. So it's interesting that you, you know, I think having an organization where people can find either a, a, just a, someone who knows grief or someone who knows the exact grief that they have is mm-hmm. such a gift because I know every single widow in LA, not everyone, yeah. but I sure feel like I know a good number of them. And we have so much joy. Our conversations are not sad. They are filled with this honest ease of just laughter at the ridiculousness of our experience. Um, And I'm sure the same you would have if you were with a bunch of women who lost their mom to cancer and they would understand lingo and that experience in a way that nobody else can. Well, and I think, you know, like that was, and, and that's the other part of like what we were looking for, you know, um, around that first table and since is it wasn't like, I want to connect with other people who are sad, you know, like I didn't self identify and define myself as, you know, a person who is sad. I certainly was a person who carried sadness, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I was a lot of other things, you know, and part of like, you know, the story was like just the kind of like banal issues that, you know, my friends were dealing with no longer interested me because, you know, like you have seen that like life isn't forever. Like, are we really wasting our time here? Um, and so, you know, like that space of, you know, like connecting with people who actually, you know, are profoundly in love with life, you know, and simultaneously carry, you know, sources of profound pain that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, that was news to me. Yeah, no, I think that you you said it brilliantly, this idea that it's counterintuitive, but when you lose somebody and you come out of early grief and you kind of find your feet again, and you land back on planet earth, you realize like, this is the most amazing journey. And there's just no possible way to feel that until you've seen it go away because you Mm -hmm. can't appreciate something until it's gone. Mm -hmm. You just can't have that full spectrum. So I do believe grieving people have the most pain. And when they're sad, they're sad. And when I'm sad, it is dark. Like last week was dark. And but what happens is you start to welcome it because you know the this is the great work of the soul oh, totally. to go really dark. And then when you come back out and you feel the relief of that dark, you feel like you're on drugs. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, I made it. Like I'm, I'm back. Like, look at this. Look at, th- I mean, I've never hugged more trees or talked to more birds than oh, I have totally. in the last four years. I, I didn't hug trees before. And, and the problem is like, you can't get that as advice. You know, you can't, you know, like it, you have to, you can only experience that yourself, you know, and, and it becomes, you know, like the moments I think about some of the most like spiritually profound moments for me in my life have been, you know, moments with friends, some around dinner party tables, some, you know, not, but where, you know, like friends just let me messy cry, you know, and, you know, like to be, you know, like a complete, even all of our language, you know, is so stigmatized around, you know, like the notion of a basket case, you know, but like where I could fall apart and realize that, you know, I could get back up again, you know, and that I didn't break in those moments and you didn't either, you know, is really, really powerful. 
So it's not to say, you know, like, and, and if anybody, you know, had told me at the time of my mother's death, um, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know, like there was no better way to make sure that we never had another conversation again, you know, like get out. And, and I, you know, like still, you know, have a kind of twisted relationship, you know, to that sentence and, and thought. And yet, like the fact that, you know, you will experience joy again, right? And you will appreciate hugging some goddamn trees, you know, differently than you might have before, you know, like all of those things get to be true, even as, you know, like you carry something uh, that, you know, forever can't be fixed and undone. Yeah. Time, I, I mean, I'm sure you felt this way too. There's nothing worse than when people tell you time will heal until mm-hmm. you become the person that says, time really will heal. And then you're like, I'm the asshole that I wanted to kill the first year. But I have been just blown away by what time can do. And I think whenever I talk to people, I met with a woman today whose husband died three weeks ago. And you can, the night I'm almost five years out and the difference in that experience, just because days have gone by is so monumental and so healing and so Mm -hmm. hopeful that I now... I say, I hate to say this, but I swear, just hang on because it, it, it simply does get better. If you so choose, we were built to survive this stuff and we were built to navigate these type of moments in our life. And so Mm -hmm. I, I think even with the dinner party too, you can meet people that are at different points along the way. So that person that's six months out is just going to be a hot mess. And if you've been there, you just allow it and it doesn't scare you or anything. You know, and I think, and that was like one of the the things that was surprising to me, you know, like when you like look for oftentimes, you know, support groups, the reason that we exist, you know, is because, you know, like you would go to a support group as a 23 year old and you were the only person, you know, under 55 in the room and suddenly you left feeling more alone than, you know, before you'd arrived, you know. Um, One of the challenges is that we think of, you know, like those, you know, sources of affinity and connection as, you know, like people who've experienced a loss within a year or two years. And sometimes that's true, right? And you want to be in a conversation with somebody who is, you know, like just head nodding, you know, to everything you say and vice versa, right? There are also moments in which, um, you know, for a person who's a few years out, it can be really powerful to tap back in to feeling, right? You know, like there are moments that I like long to be able to go there. I long for like the embodiment of grief, which is a weird thing to say if you haven't been there, you know? There are moments in which, you know, I needed to know, you know, in those acute moments when my brain was on fire, I needed to see like the stories and examples of people around me, you know, who had been there and were carrying themselves differently than I could, you know? I needed to know that it gets better and I needed to not be told that it gets better. I needed to see it lived, you know? And I think that's the, you know, advice in any of its forms, unless it's asked for, um, and even then be careful, you know, is generally not welcome. And yet, you know, like the power of the words, me too, and seeing, you know, our stories reflected in another and seeing, you know, like places that we might, might not be able to access right now, but to, to see this other person doing it, like, you know, opens up the possibility that we might someday. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. The, the early grief, the first six months to a year is one of the most spiritually alive you'll ever feel because Mm -hmm. you feel like you're on fire. You feel like everything that you knew to be true is no longer. And because you're in so much pain, you're in a meditative state of just kind of taking one breath at a time because you don't really have much else inside of you. Sometimes now 
I like, I love what you said. Sometimes when I meet new widows, I'm like, I remember, I remember. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh my God. And, and, and I made it. So then you open up this portal where you go, I actually can do hard things, which I didn't think I could. And now you're like, oh, wait a second, this is pretty cool. And then you have a week where you're really sad and someone gives you advice and you're like, if you ever say anything to me, you can write back to the beginning where you were annoyed and you're like, I'm really sad. They're like, but you were so happy last week. You're like, not today. And I think that's what people that are grieving get. And that's why what you guys have created is so important because it's a lot for people that don't have a dead person to carry their friends or their loved one's sadness in a way that they don't know how because they just haven't been there. So to have an organization where you can reach out and just connect to people that are walking that path, it's really, really special. And yeah. I love I love what you guys have done. I obviously may, met a couple of really great friends, Max Gleason mm. being one of them, who's, you know, his story, it messed me up yeah. when I met him. And now I just adore him and we, we talk and we catch up and we talk about moving forward and we have very similar ways of looking at the whole spiritual side of it. And, you know, that's probably the only person I really remember from the retreat, but that he changed my life in the way I think of things. And that's what I think is really cool about what you're doing, whether you find a group of people that you eat with every month for a couple of years, or you meet one person that you go like, you are a light along my way. So I, I, yeah. So I appreciate that. Anything else from your side? How can people find out about the dinner party in their town? I know you have a website. We'll put that up uh, on the blurb when we put it on social, but. Yeah, totally. So we're on all the socials. So you can come to our website. We do a host training once a month. And so if you're interested in holding the space for other people, um, you can uh, go through, it's a two-part training, and then we'll walk you through the process of launching a table of your own. Um, And then you, um, you know, part of what we uh, now offer is the chance to share a little bit about your own story, about the kind of, you know, group and community that you're trying to create, whether that's around a particular experience or identity that you share, or just like your part kids and you want other party kids, you know, or like you all love cats, you know, or whatever that happens to be. Um, but the chance, you know, to signal to other people who might be, you know, behind their screen somewhere nodding along. Um, so we have spaces um, to connect with people where geography isn't a factor, you know, and thanks pandemic for like the gift that it's now okay to say it's not okay. And it's, and we don't have to be bound, you know, by proximity uh, in the ways that we were. If what you're longing for is an actual dinner table um, and the chance to actually gather with real human beings um, around real food, you know, we have options for that as well. Um, So the chance to connect with other folks in Chicago um, or Indianapolis or wherever you happen to call home. So that's a little bit about the starting of a table. um, And then there are constantly each month um, new tables being added. Um, So if you're looking to connect with others and you're not in a place to hold that space for other people, um, you know, come in, check it out exactly as you are. Okay. And then can you just speak real quickly about the buddy? Isn't there a buddy? Yeah. And the buddy system. Um, so this is one of my favorites um, that we actually started during the pandemic. And this is where we actually match you. So I think we're, we've got a much better... suicide is a really a good matching for a buddy. And totally. That seems to be a whole different ballgame. I think you can even... 
you know, and it's exactly what you named, you know, um, that if you're a person, you know, who's lost a child, what you long to connect with are other people who've lost a child. If you're a widow, you long to connect with other widows. If you're a person who's experienced a suicide loss, um, you know, naming the particularities of that experience or a homicide loss. And I think, you know, one of the things, I think we do ourselves a real disservice when we presume that the only people that I can share a connection with are ones who've experienced this exact same thing, because the reality is there is no this exact same thing, that all of our relationships, all of our stories are different and, you know, approaching each other with curiosity is helpful. And, um, that said, you know, shared stuff helps. So yes, through the buddy system, um, we actually connect people, um, you know, one-to-one, I think we are more effective than Tinder, not necessarily (laughs) at long-term relationship, not long-term, uh, romantic partnership, um, but certainly in the making of friendship and you can, you know, then find somebody with whom you can connect on your own time, you know, on an ongoing basis. And I think that's our interest is that, you know, like, yes, I love the revelatory first conversations, but I'm like really here for the conversations, the relationships with you and Max years later, you know, where somebody, you know, is an anchor to one another. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you taking your time. I know that you have a little one. So congratulations on your baby and just uh, doing good things for people that need help. It's It's a real blessing. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much, Kelsey. This is fun. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.